I finally met him and he's finally met me. Now let's get right there at the end. Weekly mix of atheist fuck. Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic, and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I finally met him and he's finally met me. Now let's meet our guests. I have a plane to catch. And joining me in the Herd Mentality Recording Dungeon, I have Matt Dillahunty, hat and all. Welcome, sir. Thank you. This is my bedroom. What are we doing in my bedroom? <laughs> it doubles up. We're all, we're all about the multitasking down here in Australia. Yeah, lots of Make the best use of the resources we have at our disposal. And that way you don't have to move in out, into the, out into the large barren landscape. No. No, we're sticking where there's electricity and running water for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, Aaron, Seth, a uh, whole bunch of other people, families, everyone's collided. And we're all here. We're running around Sydney making a mess of the place. I hope so. It's been amazing. There's lots of great sights and uh, food. <laughs> There's been no shortage of food. No shortage of food. Matter of fact, the plate that I saw Aaron woof down last night um, might be a record. Yeah? It's it pretty good size. A special shout out to the guys over at Hurricane's Grill in Ride. It's a fantastic feed. Just so much food, and it all just falls straight off the bone into the mouths of Americans. Mm. I just did want to say a very quick thank you to the patrons of the show, uh, Ben, Katie, Skeptic, and Matthew, for their contributions via patreon.com slash herdmentality. And a very special guest to a guy named Matthew, Matt. He sent us some money to buy the Unholy Trinity a round of drinks, which is exactly what we've been needing. Yes, I, I haven't had a drink yet. I've been here like a week. and Okay. Oh, Come on. <laughs> All right. I, I'm not sure. The only time I've stopped drinking, I think, is right before we went on stage. But mm, We'll start recording this morning. A bit early for, for tequila. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Thanks for introducing me to that. I'm still hurting. Uh, right. What else have we got? There's a compilation of conversations I've been running around chasing you and the other guys with my little microphone to try and keep the punters appraised of what's taking place as we travel around. Sydney. Mm -hmm. I'll do the same in Brisbane and Melbourne. I might not be able to get a podcast out as quickly as I'd hoped, but they're very poorly edited. So it's just a case of whacking it in and getting it out because we have precisely two hours until we're getting on a plane. So it's going to be a world record publishing for a podcast. Uh, There's still a few tickets left for the Brisbane and Melbourne events. So we've got Brisbane Wednesday night. I believe that's right. Mm, And we've got Melbourne on Saturday night. You can head to unholytrinitydownunder.com and grab a spot so there's not too many left for either of those venues. Get amongst it. And if, and, and if you're way over on the other side, Arne and I are going to Perth after this, although I've been beaten up that we didn't go to Adelaide. So maybe next time. It's a tricky one. It is a city of churches. It, it really requires the, the gentle, loving hand of someone like Arne Ra to mm. go and scream at people. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we have engaged with some street preachers this trip. That was amazing. There's a little bit of uh, audio coming up on that and the, the debrief that you and I had as we were walking down to consume more alcohol and eat more food. Right. Uh, yes, let's get amongst it. Thanks for tuning in. Why the fuck did I nod? They can't see me nod. <laughs> and you can use that audio. And joining us 300 meters above sea level... On a rotating restaurant, I have the, sca- the, the, the scathing atheist himself. That'd be ridiculous. The thinking atheist. 
He scathes very little. Seth Ant- the thinking. I host the thinking atheist. I'm not the thinking. Everybody does that. No, I'm. You know, I live. I live in a world of geniuses, and I'm. I'm just some schlub with a website. By the way, the scathing atheist joins me in the uh, podcast awards nomination that just came out. The podcastawards.com ceremony is happening in Las Vegas, Nevada, in the United States in mid-April. And we were nominated for Best Podcast in the Religion Inspiration category, along with several others, including Paula White's Hope for Today. So I'm in very good company, and I'm excited to see it. I wonder what my acceptance speech will sound like. Am I, in the, am, I in the, am, I, am I inspiring? I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Well, you said uh, that you're in the, the, that particular category, the religious category. The podcast awards are actually hosted by Christians, so to see so many atheist programs in it, it's it's a good thing. It's odd they would allow me in, into the category. I would think there would be some sort of an exclusivity thing. You know, this belongs to... I mean, inspiration in the religious context is it's God-centered, so... Um, and I believe it's the winners are chosen by popular vote. Mm. And you're going up against um, Joel Osteen's teeth. I understand. <laughs> I don't know. I don't recognize most of the shows in the category. But anytime you're nominated for almost any, if it's not a Raspberry Award, you know, I'm, I'm delighted to be on the list, and we'll see what happens here in mid-April. So what's, what's gone on the last couple of days, Seth? It's been pretty hectic since you've landed in Sydney. Well, you know, hectic in the best possible sense. I've had the, the privilege of traveling with my family, so... You know, going to Australia is, is wonderful, but, but not being able to share the experience with my wife and my stepdaughter would have been tragic. So, you know, we, we did whatever we had to to get them here, and, and we've all been kind of just mostly going through the preparation for the first Unholy Trinity event, which was amazing at the Seymour Center in Sydney with uh, a, a, just a wonderful crowd and and a fond memory I'll carry with me forever. And now that that event is over, we've collapsed, we've showered, we've shaved, we're all, we're all recovering. We're finally getting the chance to be tourists in Sydney and seeing the beauty that is Australia. So, so we've been hitting out and about, doing the old-fashioned walking thing around Sydney. Mm-hmm. Kicked off at the Opera House. Anything of note there that stood out? I, I've just... It's staggeringly beautiful, but I know I have to go back and see it tonight. I, we've got to go back and see it. But it's surreal to have seen it so many times from across the ocean, you know, on television and photographs, and to be standing on those steps, you know. What color was it in real life? <laughs> well, in, in the, of course, in perception, we see it as this bright sort of luminescent white. But actually, it's more of a cream with some gold accents. Uh, I like it, that dress. It's, it's it, yeah, is it gold? Is it blue? Is it black? <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's still amazing. It's still beautiful. We've got a, a quick look at the Harbour Bridge. We're going to be heading on a boat after uh, after lunch and perhaps doing some battle with some street preachers a little bit later on this afternoon. But we'll be heading on a boat under the Harbour Bridge mm-hmm. to uh, get the full view. But where are we right now? Well, we, we're, in a, we're in a rotating restaurant. We're actually eating in the sky. In the middle of downtown Sydney, as the the restaurant rotates, I, I forgot how many rotations we do an hour—a little over one rotation an hour, or something. Uh, no, yeah, a little over one. And so, as we speak, the the entire you know the entire restaurant, the floor spins, and so we're slowly, but it spins as we get a chance to see sort of a 360-degree view of Sydney. So you'll look down, you'll focus on eating some very unique foods, at least unique to those of us who are not from Australia. And then you look up and you're seeing a completely different 
you know, picture out the window. It's it's pretty amazing. Now the food thing. The food thing. There are a couple of uh, <clears throat> nervous-looking Americans at my place this morning when I said we might be eating some of our flora. No fauna. I I don't know about nervous. <laughs> like ca- kangaroo. We just don't think of kangaroo as food for some reason. It's sort of like Americans see the horse. The horse is something that exists and, you know, you it does what it does, but no one eats it. You don't eat kangaroo, and I come here and it's on every menu. It's insane. <laughs> Plus, we have this thing about eating cute animals. Now, you can eat a cow. Yeah. Ah, a cow's the, you know, it's, it's not a beautiful beast, really. But if you, you know, you see an elegant creature of any kind, you know, or something that looks kind of cute, or, or sort of an anthropomorphic creature. It's got the hands and the feet, right? It's got the pouch for the baby. Oh, my God, you're going to eat that? We get weird about it. But it, it actually is quite tasty. And other cute animals include crocodile? We, we, I had the crocodile. Was the crocodile? Do you enjoy it? No. My, my wife says no. I, I didn't eat it. <laughs> I didn't eat it. She said not so much. But I thought it was pretty good. It, it was unusual. It was different. Uh, it's almost like eating a meatball. It was bizarre. And the final one on the menu, I think, was the emu. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just like a, a what we would just, just call sausage in the United States. It was quite good, actually. Well, anything becomes sausage if you blend it enough. It's just <laughs> sausage, and it was quite it's good. It's also your state bird, isn't it? It's, yeah. Australia is, I think, the only country in the world that eats both animals from the coat of arms. You have this kangaroo and an emu there, and they're both delicious. Would we all agree? That's just awesome. That's just awesome. Well, you know, it's good to have utility in the creatures that you select. You know, use them as icons and eat them as food. I think that's a very resourceful nation. nation. Yes, you are. So thanks for joining us. A pleasure. Very much a pleasure. Thank you. Dillahunty, oh welcome. my God, stop recording. I've done everything you've asked. You shove a microphone in my face again, I'm going to fly back to New Zealand. It's been nothing but insults from you this whole trip. I know. Hmm. But I appreciate it very much. Thank you. <laughs> I figured you'd appreciate it more than most. How are you enjoying it? I'm loving it. This is uh, this is my dream trip. I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, not only has the, the kind of the adventure and the, and the sights and the, everything been amazing, but the people have been really great too. It's it's. I wish uh, if there's any one thing I could change about last night's event in Sydney, apart from maybe bits of my talk, would would have been more time to actually sit around and talk to some of the people who came out. Yeah, a lot of people turned up, mm-hmm. and you know, fans were jumping on you, trying to get a little bit of Matt. Yeah, yeah. I, there, there's a little bit to give. Yeah, we've been out to the opera house. We've had people, and, and a hi to Katie, who popped out to say hello to, right. to you and the guys at the opera house. Plenty of photo opportunities. We took a lot of pictures out there. Took pictures uh, in front of the bridge. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's been it's a beautiful day too. I mean, if you know, if there's a god who's been trying to to thwart me, he keeps failing and keeps giving us better and better weather. How does the Australian Coke Zero stack up against the American? Oh well, since it's entirely chemicals and it's <laughs> it's the same. Now the regular Cokes here that actually have sugar in them, uh, everybody was like, "Oh, you need to try that. You need to try that." And uh, what they don't realize is, while most of America you can't get that in Texas, you can because we get Mexican Coke, which is made with cane sugar. So Mexican Coke, mm-hmm. the illegal stuff. Yeah, Coca Cola. Yeah, it's uh 
it, I, I don't know what you'd have to do to it to get it to be a white powdery substance, but for now it's a it's a caramelized soft drink that is yummy. Well, a good friend of ours, um, Pastor James Manning, a friend of the show, uh, he's a he, he still thinks that they're throwing some cocaine in the Coca Cola and uh, all sorts of other interesting products, other synthetic products as well, into the uh, Starbucks. We had a Starbucks earlier. And it may be the case, I mean, for a while, because I was diabetic, I had to stop drinking so much Coke, and I switched over to Coke Zero, and I I would assume that they would put the cocaine in that as well. Mm. Um, But they may have, you know, they may have added some semen too. I notice I'm liking show tunes more right now. I'm just... I kind of always have, but I find myself singing it at random. Desperate to get to the opera house for that reason. I, I was, and the opera house was was uh, gorgeous. You were uh, wise enough to point out the thing that I might not have noticed was you know it, it's not actually white, even though it appears that way in every picture you've ever seen for your entire life. Um, but yeah, it was it was really nice. Where are we now? Right now we are at lunch. In this tower overlooking Sydney, it's a, a rotating restaurant uh, where I have just stuffed myself to the point of exploding on, in a single meal, in reasonable portions, kangaroo, emu sausage, crocodile sausage, octopus, shrimp, pasta, beef, am. Uh, and then I had uh, first and second desserts, including little lemon tarts and all the things I'm not supposed to eat, but <laughs> don't really care that much about. And that was it was it was really good. Any god from up this high? Um, I haven't spotted him yet. But the problem with that is that the invisible and the non-existent look pretty much the same. Um, so I might have been looking at him the entire time. But I noticed that as I travel around the city, I take pictures. Of, you know, the architecture and everything else. I'm I tend to stop and take pictures of trees a lot. And one of the most common things I get, you know, is how can just look at the trees, look at the trees. How can you not believe in God? Look at those trees. And there are amazing trees here. Uh, and yet I'm still not a believer. Yeah, well, we're up at amazing buildings. <laughs> how can you not believe? How would you even know if you saw it? I, I think, um, you know, there are occasions when I'll look at a tree and for a moment I'll get a glimpse of something that somebody might call God. And then I, you know, kind of come back to my senses and get my sugar levels back under control. Oh, it's just a tree and it's gorgeous. So we're hoping that after this, after several beers, you can probably hear Aaron giggling away like a Japanese schoolgirl over in the background there. Uh, We're going to head down and see if we can track down some street preachers after lunch. So I need a better one. I believed because I believed the Bible. I believed because the people around me also believed. I believed because I thought that I had felt the presence of the Holy Spirit when I was in church, when I was preaching, when I was praying. Um, Those things, uh, there was an experience there, but saying that that experience was caused by God is something that I can't prove. And I have no reason to believe that it's the case because when we're going to say something caused something else, we have to first demonstrate that the something exists. So you'd have to begin. You can't just say, yeah. 
probably know the cosmology explanation of why there must be a God. This is something that's used also. Yeah, the Kalam cosmological Everything that begins to exist has a cause for its existence. And the universe began to exist, therefore the universe must have a cause for its existence. Um, even if the Kalam cosmological argument was correct, and it's not, all that means is that the universe has to have a cause. That doesn't mean that the cause is God. How do we determine that the cause is God? Well, it depends what you mean by God. Okay, true. If we say that, if we say that uh, first cause equals God, well, sure, but I could say the first cause equals universe creating pixies and it would be just as valid. My answer is, I don't know what caused the universe to exist. I don't have any grounds upon what to say what it was. It would, it's better to say you don't know and wait until you have evidence for the proposition than it is to just accept whatever people are offering. Because the, the, if you say, for example, if you use that kind of reasoning to say that you believe in Jesus, why wouldn't you also believe the Quran? Why wouldn't you also be a Hindu? Oh, well, there's no, there's no objective evidence as far as I can see to support the Quran or the, the Hindu writings. Uh, or the Bible? To, to me, there is an abundance of evidence to support Have the Have you studied the Quran and the Hindu Bible? Because not only did the Hindus get the rough age of the earth right, but the Quran, I mean, you know how Islam came to be. I mean, this is um, Abraham and Sarah's first son. They had Isaac and Ishmael. And well, Isaac was the second one, and Isaac was the one that went on to be the progenitor of David and the Jews, and Ishmael went on to become the progenitor of what would eventually become Muslims. So the Quran contains the same accounts of Genesis, they, they have name different, but they have similar accounts for all of these. Um, and the Quran, being only 700 years old, we know who wrote it. We, we know who wrote it, absolutely, that Muhammad and his men wrote that. We have no idea who wrote the vast majority of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know that. Even Christian scholars acknowledge that. These are names that the church put on. Yes. You're not aware of that? It's in the Bible. I mean, if you open up like a New England, uh, New International Version, in the cover sheet it says... It, you knew a national wouldn't come in there. That's a pretty shoddy translation. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the translation is. It's right on the cover page. So you think Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I don't know for sure, but I am satisfied. So no, no reputable Christian scholar thinks this. I mean, this, is, this has been done for a century. Oh, my God. I'm reading. I'm reading. I'm reading what they talk about in seminary and Bible colleges. I'm reading what they talk about from the experts here. Experts, seminaries, Bible colleges. Well, the vast majority of Christian scholars, from my understanding, would uh, acknowledge that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if not actually written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written by people who were very close to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who were able to accurately write down what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually said. My understanding was that the people who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't in any way related or never knew Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. According to all the experts I'm aware of. <laughs> Where do you get that from, Chris? Well, from the biblical scholars. Oh, what biblical scholars are you referring to? Uh, the ones I've interviewed directly. Uh, David, Fitz, uh, David Fitzgerald, Richard Carrier, Robert Price. Um, I can't remember. Ian Murdoch. So, Matt, we're in Windown Road. Yes, we're crossing here. Um, the, you and I were just having a chat with one of the street preachers. A few of them, yeah. yeah. And the the guy I was speaking to is an elderly gentleman, uh, quite pacified, uh, 
in comparison to the bloke with megaphone. Yeah. But as I don't know if you heard this because I think you were in a debate with somebody at that time. Uh, the guy with the megaphone yells out to a young a young girl. She'd have been no older than maybe fifteen or sixteen. Um, uh, that she was living in sexual sin because she had a, a boyfriend there. And I looked at the guy I was debating and said, did you hear that? And he goes, yeah. I said, do you condone that? He said, oh, 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 no. That's and I began to quiz him on it. Yeah. Um, because I, he, he could feel that it was wrong. So I, I wouldn't have done that. I said, so you, you disagree with some of the people who you work with and you do business with here on this corner? He said, yeah, we don't... We don't all agree the same thing <laughs> which brings up the point of well let's talk about the Bible although in fairness not all of us agree on the same things either <laughs> um, I, I, I would generally like to think that we perhaps handle, handle it a little better for example if, you know, if there was an atheist a prominent atheist who was standing on a street corner spouting things that I disagreed with I'd be just as likely to argue with him as I would with any passing preacher and, you know, coming from the United States and the, the way free speech works there, and I'm not completely up to speed, but I think it's fairly similar here. Mm-hmm. Um, they, some of them thought that I was objecting to the fact that they were standing out there saying anything. And I'm not. I, I'm, I fully support their right to talk about whatever they believe, as long as it's afforded to everybody to talk about what they believe. And because they have that right, uh, I have that right to uh, respond to them and if they want to engage in a conversation, I'm happy to do it. And if they don't, fine, leave them alone. Um, they look mostly ridiculous, and most people ignored them and walked right by. So it was really kind of telling that the the people who engaged were, you know, myself and you and Aaron and stuff. But it's... To get back to your question, the types of things that they'll go along with, because ultimately they feel the message is far more important than the specifics. Mm. So I engaged one guy, um, actually two, on slavery. They both agreed that slavery was immoral. They both said that Exodus, along with the rest of the Bible, clearly represented the mind of God. And they refused to acknowledge that it expressly endorsed slavery, or one of them acknowledged that it does, And then said that slavery already existed, so God had to work within the limits of the people at the time. Yeah, I had that one as well. So, the problem with that is, if you are a morally perfect being, it should be impossible for you to say slavery is okay, under any circumstances. The other thing is, what a tiny little God they believe in. We went down this road a little bit and had the conversation, and he said, you know... God has to work within our limits. Well, what good is he? I mean, when I believed, I believed in a God who could say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not, hopefully, own people as property. Unfortunately, the Bible says the opposite. If God can tell you not to eat shellfish, certainly he can tell you not to own people. He's God. All-powerful creator of the universe. And yet he can't tell us something because we don't, we're okay with it. As a, I put the question to him. I said, "Do you believe that this this book is moral and correct, and we should be living by it?" And yeah, you agree. I said, "So we all have different interpretations uh, of this book. So how how is that a perfect book?" And he said, "Oh, that's that's because we are imperfect." 
We're imperfect. The book says what it says. If God can tell people not to worship other gods, which they were doing. So there were plenty of people who were worshiping other gods. This was the way their culture was. And yet he can tell them, stop worshiping other gods. And he can tell them it's wrong. And yet when it comes to slavery, oh, that was part of the culture. He can't tell them that. So at every single point, there's a flaw in their reasoning that if they applied it uniformly, universally, they would recognize that they have no better reason for believing their religion than they do for believing the religions they've dismissed. And yet they will not recognize this flaw very most of the time, no matter how many analogies you throw out. Sometimes it works. And there was one of the gentlemen that I talked to who very clearly paused, um, could, didn't have anything else to say, and just stood there and stared at me and said, you know, I think you did, you did a good job and I have things to think about. Um, but you know, It was a success. <laughs> well, certainly more of a success than the guy who figuratively stuck his fingers in his ear. There was a point where we were talking, and I was just trying to get him to answer one question, one he'd already asked. A- answered, sorry, about, you know, hey, do you think slavery is immoral? I do. Mm. You know, how hard is that of a question to answer? And instead he stood there and went, I, I can't even remember what he said, but he was just chanting this thing over me. I wish I could remember what he said. Anybody remember? I don't. But it, it was his way of doing the no, 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 I'm not listening to you. Do you believe now? Do you believe now? Yeah, do you believe now? Something like that. I don't know. Very well. And uh, one really quick question. How do mm. our street preachers differ to yours? They're no different except for accent. <laughs> this is literally the same thing I've seen almost everywhere I go. If, you, if they are the type who are going to get out with a megaphone on the street, they're going to have very similar messages, very similar gaps in their understanding of reason, and a limited knowledge of the Bible, mm. which is why... You know, if you're going to engage, understanding the Bible, being able to show them, you know, I'm an atheist because I tried to apply 1 Peter 3.15. I know that the Bible in Exodus 21 and Leviticus either 23 or 25 and in Deuteronomy advocates for slavery. I know that, you know, what 1 Corinthians says about women. So it's it's these little traps that um, I suppose that people could view them as sneaky and underhanded, but what we're really doing is exposing that they believe something without good reason, they are convinced of something that they don't understand and oftentimes haven't read and aren't familiar with. And I don't believe them because I have read it and I am familiar with it. One really quick question, because we're going to have to get a shuffle on here. Yeah. How did the public respond? Is it the same way that they would respond over in the States? Yeah, uh, about the same number of people ignored, about the same number of people stopped for pictures. Um, there were a few people who gathered around to kind of watch the fireworks for a couple of seconds. Um and it was different for each of the conversations. You know, one of them was a, a loud back and forth, and, and the other two were, you know, much quieter one-on-one conversations, which is generally going to be more productive because if you're talking to someone who's getting loud and has an audience, they're going to stonewall, which I'm fine with because when they stonewall like that, when he started chanting, you know, the na-na-na-na-na thing and refusing to answer any question... And then I asked him, you know, under 1 Peter 3.15, you are supposed to be ready at all times to give the reason for the faith that's within you. And to do so with gentleness and kindness, you are under an obligation from the Great Commission to care about my soul. Don't you care about my soul? And he said, not really, not right now. And so, okay. So Hades for that gentleman. Yeah, I guess. Thanks, Matt. Cheers.